Well, listen, I want to do things a little bit differently this morning. Normally we receive our offering right here, and I think I want to do that at the end of our service today and just flow with the Holy Spirit. I've got something I believe that's from the Lord, that it's a word right on time. It's a word, as they say, in due season. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to open with me, please, to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let's look at a couple of verses together. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're also going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, which is the verse, verse 10, that the Lord gave us uh, right about a year ago as we were leaving 2021, coming into 2022. And don't look now, but 2022 is almost over. It's a little difficult to believe, but time is marching on. And I've got some things to share with you in light of that, in light of where we are in this season where we are uh, on the calendar. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, let's pray together over this word today, and then we'll, we'll read. Father, again, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. We look to you, and we look to your word today to shine a light, so we open our eyes to see it. We open our ears to hear it. We open our hearts to receive from you today. We want eyes that see Jesus ears that hear his voice, hearts that understand who we are in him and who he is in us. Lord, we will be quick to give you all the praise and all the glory for the good things that your word is doing in our lives. It's like a foundation beneath our feet. We worship you and praise you today. and We declare that you are the author and the finisher of our faith and the good work you've begun in us. You are faithful to finish it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Second Timothy chapter four, beginning in verse six. Paul writing to this young pastor, Timothy, he said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. He's talking about where he is in his life, where he is in his ministry. And what you can see here is that Paul is in that winter season coming to the end of his time here on earth, wrapping things up. And he called it his departure. He didn't say my death. He said my departure because that's what death is. Births are arrivals into this earth. Deaths are just simply departures and you depart one place, but you do it so that you can do what? Arrive somewhere else. And this is what we need to bear in mind about our life on this earth. Number one, we need to keep in mind how short it really is. And number two, we need to remember that this is not all there is. And when it comes time to leave this place, it's not the end. It's not the, the, the finish of our lives. In many ways, it's just the beginning. We're departing one place and arriving to another. And he said, the time of my departure is at hand. But look at verse seven. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Man, I like that. Listen to it again. What did he say? I have fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. If there is anything that you want to be able to say on your last day here and your first day there, in the presence of God to spend it with him in eternity. It's this right here. This is what you want to be able to say. You want to be able to echo these same words. I have fought the good fight. You want to practice it right now? 
Let's say it together. I have fought the good fight. What else did he say? I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. That's what you want to say. That really is what you want to be the summation of your time on this earth. Having fought the good fight, having finished the race, having kept the faith. Now, if we're honest though, and if people in general would be honest, they wouldn't be able, many people would not be able to say that. Honestly, standing in the presence of God on, on day one in eternity, if, if many, many people were honest, they'd probably have to say, I fought poorly. And what Paul was saying when, when he said, I fought the good fight, he really was just saying, I fought and I was good at it. Study the scripture for yourself, and that's actually what he's talking about. He's saying, he's saying I, was, I fought, but I didn't just fight. I was good at it, man. Paul talked about it in other places where he said, I fight not like someone who beats the air. I'm a little bit ashamed to say that's probably, if, if I were to ever get in a fight, it might look more like <laughs> I've never actually been in one. I got hit one time as a, as a young teenager, uh, but I didn't fight back, so I don't think it counts as being in a fight. But many people are, number one, they don't even realize they're in a fight in this life. And sad to say, those who are in a fight or realize it, there's no technique to it. And when he wrote in 1 Timothy, he talked about fighting the good fight of faith. And you study some of these other translations and it really brings out what he's saying there. He says, he says, be constantly engaged in the contest of faith, which contest is marked. I love this by the beauty of its technique. He's saying fight, but don't just swing your arms. Don't just swing and hope something hits man. The fight of faith. It is a fight, but it's supposed to be marked by the beauty of its technique. I don't know if you've ever watched a professional boxer. Sometimes I get on these, these rabbit trails, uh, down the rabbit hole, as they say, watching YouTube videos. And I got on some Muhammad Ali videos a while back and some Mike Tyson videos a while back. Hey, a guy can dream, right? And you watch these guys and the way they fight. And yes, there's power and of course there's strength, but as much as anything, it's, it's grace. It's like a dance the way they do it. And Paul writing to Timothy said, the fight of your faith should be beautiful. It should be a fight that's marked by the beauty of its technique. And he's saying, oh, I'm, I'm here at the end of my life and I fought and I fought well, I fought good, but many people wouldn't be able to say that. You want to be able to say that. Not only did he say I fought and fought good. He said, I have finished the race. If many people were honest, they wouldn't be able to say, I finished the race. They'd have to say, well, I quit early. I quit somewhere along the way. You don't want to have to say that. You want to be able to say, I fought the good fight and I finished the race. And then he summed it all up with this. I kept my faith. And of course, there are many people who would have to stand in the presence of God one day. And if they're honest, they'll say, I didn't fight well. I quit early and I lost my faith somewhere along the way. Not us, right? Amen. Come on church, not us. Amen? Amen. We want to say these, these same words. Day one of eternity, I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Amen. And we're in an interesting season right now. I think we're in an interesting time in the grand scheme of things, in the overall plan of God. But just, you know, at a surface glance, where are we on the calendar? We are in the, the last few days and weeks of this year. And this year has gone by fast. Seems like time's just speeding up, going faster and faster and faster. And it's a, it's a time of year. And just, I'll tell you for me personally, it's always been a time of year that I've loved coming into this fall season, especially if you're a born and raised Texan, you love you some fall. Now it takes till about mid-December to show up sometimes, but right about October, November, you are saying, Lord, enough with the hundred degree days. I want to walk outside and not sweat instantly. I don't want to feel like there's a hairdryer blowing in my face all day. And so in Texas, man, that first 65 degree day, oh, there's rejoicing in the streets. And how much more though, now in this beautiful place where the Lord has brought us to his country. I mean, we, we love it up here. We love this time. We love walking out and that, that cool, crisp air just hits your lungs and it's revitalizing and it feels so good. This time of year, I love it so much, but I will say this for me, and this is just me personally, throughout ministry, this, the ministry that Sarah and I've been in for, what is it, 12, almost 13 years now together, we spent the first 10 plus years of that traveling going places all across the United States, places around the world, in and out of other countries, and just going and going and going and preaching in this place and preaching in that place, loving it. But I noticed this a few years into ministry that right about this time of year, I get tired. I start feeling the last 10 or 11 months. You know what I mean? It just starts it starts sitting in. It's like, wow, we have been some places. We have done some stuff. And I don't know if you're like that or not, but I have, I have experienced that before where I come into this season that we're in right now and just physically speaking, physically, mentally, just start feeling that slow down a little bit and start feeling tired. And uh, we are at a time where we're about to end one year and start a new one. But I have it in my heart, and I want to see if you want to join me in this today. I'm not going to go limping into next year. Anybody else? I'm not going to go, as we say around our house, dragging our wagon. We say that expression quite a bit. We say that to the kids. Come on, guys, speed up. You're dragging your wagon. I'm not going to be dragging my wagon going into 2023. Anybody else with me? I know you might be feeling the last 10 months or so. And perhaps you're experiencing some of the same stuff I have, feeling a little bit sleepy as we come into this part of the year. But I have it in my heart that I know I'm personally, for our family and for this family, we are going to go running. We are going to go running with momentum into the next year. Amen? Now, finishing, finishing anything is a good thing. And like I've already said, there are many people who are quitting early. They are bailing on relationships. They're bailing on jobs. They're bailing on careers. They're bailing on churches. They are quitting early. And I believe what honors God as much or more than anything in our lives is not just starting something, 
but seeing it all the way through to the finish. This is God honoring right here. What I've begun to realize the, the older I get is anybody can start something. Anybody can start anything. It's not the starting of something that gives God the most glory. It's you refusing to quit along the way. It's you refusing to draw back, shrink back, run away in fear. It's you refusing to give up, but sticking with it, staying with it all the way through to the finish, to the finish. This is what honors God. But there's something else I believe that honors him. And it's not just finishing. It's the condition in which we finish. Are you with me this morning, church? It's the condition in which we finish. And I don't believe Paul was saying, I finished the race, you know, barely. I don't think he went limping across that finish line. Man, I think he hit that tape with joy. I know he did. He talked about it. I'm going to finish my race with joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. So I want us to begin today looking forward over the next few days and weeks that are ahead of us as we step over the threshold from one year to another. I want us to be like those Olympic runners. Have you ever seen them run the track? Have you noticed they don't slow down until after they've crossed the line? You don't start slowing down before you hit that line. You keep up that speed. You keep up that momentum. And I believe the Lord has some things to say to us that would enable us to finish this year with joy and finish this year strong. Say amen if you believe it. First Peter chapter five, verse 10 is the, the scripture we began this year with. And in one way or another, we have looked at this verse and squeezed it like a sponge, endeavoring to get everything out of it that we possibly could. All year long, the Lord's been speaking to us about this. It says in 1 Peter 5.10, May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, now we, we spent several weeks talking about that, getting a better understanding of what true biblical suffering actually is and, and not letting somebody else's definition of it uh, influence us. We have to have our minds renewed to the word of God. What is suffering according to the will of God? Well, I won't take time to re-preach that whole thing, but if you just look at this book of 1 Peter alone, it makes very clear what it is. There is a suffering of persecution. Jesus said it was coming. Jesus said it would happen. There is a suffering of submission. We talked about that quite a bit. And of all the wonderful things that Jesus has done to redeem us from the curse of the law, there are some things that that he did not redeem us from. You're not redeemed from persecution. You are not redeemed from submission. Submission is just the suffering of not getting your own way. Jesus showed us how to do that when he said, not my will, God, but yours be done. And there's a suffering that you and I must endure as believers. It's the suffering of submission. One amen. Okay, well. But... Connected to that, we also talked about the suffering of resistance. And you see that even in the verses leading up to what we read here in 1 Peter 5.10, talking about resisting the devil. What did James chapter 4 say? Submit to God, resist the devil. Submit to God, resist the devil. 
Let me say it one more time. Submit to God, resist the devil. Why are we saying it over and over? Because so many people are living with that exactly flip-flopped. They are resisting what they should be submitting to and submitting to what they should be resisting. And you and I have got to find out in this life, what should I be yielded to and what should I be resisting? If it's God, if it's word, I'm submitting to it. I'm bringing myself under my will, under his will, my way under his way. But if it's something that's from the enemy in the pit of hell, I'm not putting up with that. I'm not yielding and submitting to that. I'm going to resist it in Jesus name. And what do the scriptures say? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So these are some of the sufferings that he's talking about here. And if you are willing to endure through that and not quit in the middle of it, then look at what's going to happen to you. This God of all grace is going to work in you and he will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Say them with me. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. How you doing, church? Better than I heard it. I heard it. Now we hadn't, I hadn't asked you in a little while. And so you might be out of practice a little bit, but the answer to the question, how you doing is what better than ever, better than ever. Now that's what we started this year with. You didn't lose it along the way. Did you No, better than ever? When the God of all grace has gone to work in us, perfecting, establishing, strengthening, and settling us, we are better than we've ever been. Now you can say it even if you don't feel it, even when you don't see it, that's when you need to be saying it the most. Amen. Perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. We spent quite a few weeks talking about what it means to be perfected and completed. We went on to talk about what it means to be established. I want to touch on today a little bit about what it means to be strengthened. We're talking about finishing strong. Now, the amplified version of this verse says it like this. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who imparts his blessing and favor, who called you to his own eternal glory in Christ, will himself complete, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Notice this. Making you what you ought to be. Making you what you ought to be. So perfected, established, strengthened, and settled in the eyes of God is what you ought to be. I said, it's what you ought to be. You and I ought to be complete. We ought to be established and we ought to be strengthened, which means we ought not be weak. We shouldn't be living this life weary, tired, worn out, worn down, beat up and fatigued all the time. Now, listen, I understand we've got these bodies and we're thankful for them, but has anybody figured out yet? They have some pretty serious limitations. A few of you have, the rest of you are superhuman. No, have you not yet figured out that this body as what a wonderful gift from God it is. It's the temple of the Holy ghost. We ought to be thankful for it. But you know, while we're here on this earth, it has some pretty serious limitations. It is pretty seriously limited to what it can do, how long it can do it, how much it can do. And that's just part of living in this life. Now, 
the scripture tells us that we've got these other bodies coming. Have you ever read where the Bible talks about how the mortal will put on immortality? Anybody else looking forward to that? And we think immortality and that just sort of to us means, you know, well, live forever, won't die. It's not just the length of life, it's quality. Where there's no death at all working in the body. There's no weakness in the body. It's not susceptible to all the things that it's been susceptible to your whole life here on this earth. This mortal, this mortal, that mortal, these mortals are about to put on immortality. And the stuff that used to wear you out ain't even going to phase you anymore. The stuff that used to beat you down, not even going to phase you anymore. Why? Because you put on immortality. You're putting on that glorified body and it will be a part of the body of Christ. Praise God. I said, praise God. Here's the thing. We're not there yet as much as we'd like to be. And as often as we pretend we already are, we're not there yet. We're still dealing with some limitations in the body, but here's some good news. At least I see it as good news. Jesus dealt with this. Listen to this from the book of John chapter four. You remember the account of Jesus speaking with the woman at the well. But there's some details in there that often get overlooked and we, we tend to focus on their conversation and what happened. And it's an amazing conversation uh, for sure. I mean, Jesus is speaking to her and it just starts with, hey, can I have a drink? And she gets into conversation with him. Why are you asking a drink of me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We're not supposed to be talking to each other. One thing leads to another. They get into a religious doctrinal debate about worship and where worship's supposed to take place and how worship is supposed to take place. And Jesus sort of takes the conversation in a different direction when he says, go call your husband and tell him to come here. And she said, I don't have one. And here comes this word of knowledge where he says to her, you're right. You don't have one. You've had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. And she said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> really? You picked up on that? Wow. Wow. And that's when they get into this whole religious debate. Well, the, the end of it, you know, this, this Jesus tells her that he's the Messiah, the one she claims she's looking for. And she runs back to town and she brings everybody to town and come see a man who told me everything I'd ever done. It's an amazing story. But there's some interesting details in the setup of the whole thing that sometimes get overlooked. And it's in John chapter four. Uh, look at verse one, I believe. I'll just read several verses down into this. Thank you, Lord. Well, you can start at verse three. It says, Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Listen to this, verse six. Jesus, who are we talking about? Come on, church, who are we talking about? Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey. Jesus, 
Who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. This is, this is how and why he's there in the first place. He and his disciples were on a walk, a long walk, from Judea, and they were headed to Galilee, and they're coming through Samaria. And uh, Jesus evidently got so tired from the journey that he, Jesus, had to sit down at the well. And if you read the rest of this, he sent the disciples away into the city to buy food. I don't know why this blesses me. <laughs> I mean, think about you. What happens when you go for a really long walk and you haven't eaten in a long time? Huh? You get tired. Are you with me this morning? Come on, listen to me. You get tired. I get tired. Why? These bodies have some pretty serious limitations. And sometimes we try to push them beyond their limitations. And it's not wise. These bodies need certain things to be sustained. Here's a big revelation. You ready for it? You need sleep. You need sleep. And I mean good sleep. And I mean several hours of sleep. You need that. Your body needs that. Here's another big one. You need food. You got to eat sometimes. You got to eat some good stuff. You got to put some fuel in the tank. Excuse me while I preach to myself here just for a minute, because I got to hear this too, church. I got to hear this. My wife knows this. Jeremy, you need to eat sometimes, brother. Put some food in your belly. Go to bed on time. These bodies have some limitations. But even God in the flesh had to sit down. Jesus himself got wearied from the journey and he had to send the disciples away into the city to buy food. That says to me, he's like, guys, I can't go another step. I can't go any further. You're going to have to go. You're going to have to get food. You're going to have to bring it back. We'll eat something and then we can go on from there, but you're going to have to go. I, I got to sit here for a while. Jesus himself had to sit by the well. Now, like I said, some amazing things unfolded the whole time he was there. And then by the time the disciples got back, they came to him and said, they brought the food and said, Rabbi, you need to eat. And he said to them, uh, down around, let's see, what verse is this? John chapter four, down verse 31. It says, in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And therefore the disciples said to one another, did somebody bring him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Are you looking at this? And what else? To finish his work. Jesus was so tired that he couldn't go on another step. So worn out from the journey, he couldn't, he couldn't keep going to the restaurant. He had to get the guys to go get some takeout. But yet when they came back, they're looking at him going, did somebody feed him? Evidently, there's a difference in him. Can you see this? Evidently, he's, he's got some more energy. Evidently, he's got some more pep, some more zip, some more zap. He's got some, some excitement about him. And somebody's going, did, did you feed him? Who fed him? Who brought him something to eat? And he said, I got food you don't even know about. 
And what was that food? My food, he said, is to do the will. Are you listening, church? It's to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Jesus is saying that doing the will of God has the same, can have the same effect on you that eating a good meal can have when you're hungry. It can put energy on the inside of you. It can put some excitement on the inside of you. It can sustain you in the way, in a similar way that food, the way we need food for these bodies to be sustained, him doing the will of God and, and finishing the work was like him eating a good meal, doing what God wants done. Let me say it to you like this, limiting what you do to what God wants done. If you want to finish this year strong and run with momentum into the next one, you might have to limit how many different things you're involved in. Because if doing the will of God has the ability to sustain you, what do you know about doing your own will? Going your own way, doing all your own ideas, making all your own stuff up. If doing his will sustains you, making up your own stuff is going to drain you. And this is one of the big reasons people come to a place in life, whether it's a season like we're in or a prolonged season, and they live constantly and even chronically fatigued. I did a little bit of reading yesterday about what people are now calling chronic fatigue syndrome. We now have something in our culture, a, a disease with a name that can be diagnosed. Chronically fatigued, chronically fatigued syndrome. Chronic fatigue syndrome, listen to this, is a disease characterized by profound fatigue, sleep abnormalities, pain, and other symptoms that are made worse by exertion. The main symptom is fatigue over six months. It's a, it's a long and a prolonged period of time where somebody is just, all the things we talked about, worn out, worn down, and fatigued. They said the fatigue often worsens with activity, but here's the main thing, it doesn't improve with rest. Now, like I said, we've all got bodies. And from time to time, these bodies need rest. From time to time, these bodies need food. These, these bodies need natural things to sustain us. And if the body's healthy, even when you do get tired, you can bounce back. Even when you maybe are a little worn down or a little worn out, get a little bit of rest, put the right things in, you get some of that energy coming back to you and everything's good. But we're living in a culture that's conditioning us to get to a place where we, where we are beyond natural rest's ability to help us. Anybody else seen this? As a matter of fact, there are over 200,000 cases a year just in the United States of people being diagnosed with this chronic fatigue syndrome. And what they're being told is there's no cure. There's no cure for it. They're working on medication for it, 
but there's no cure. And what it is, is a extended period of time, six months, eight, 10, 12 months longer, where no matter how much rest somebody gets in the natural, they still have no life in them. Folks, I'm not living that way. Are you? No. You have to come to the place in your life where you are done being weak. Every one of us, listen to me, every single one of us have got to come to a place in our lives where we make a conscious and quality decision. I'm done being weak. I'm done. Weak in any area of your life. You have to come to the place where you say, I am done being weak spiritually. I am done being so easily manipulated by the enemy. I'm done being so, so quick to give in to temptation. I'm done being so, so convinced that God is not for me. I'm done questioning the word of God. I'm done being weak in my spirit. You have to come to the place where you are done being weak in your soul. Done being weak emotionally. You've seen it before where somebody is done being weak physically. You ever seen these, these amazing transformation videos? Somebody who's either way overweight or way underweight, and they just come to a place in their life and they say, I'm done with this. And they start a journey. They start a process where they begin making changes. Now, of course, the process takes time. But I love these videos that condense everything from six months to a year down in just a few minutes. And you can see where they were and where they are. And that started with, didn't start with going to the gym. It didn't start with eating better. It didn't start with seeing a doctor or a nutritionist. It started with this decision. What decision? I'm done being weak. Every one of us have to come to that place. Can you say it out loud? I'm done being weak. Because according to the scriptures, I ought to be strong. I ought to be strong. And the God of all grace is at work in my life, perfecting, establishing, and strengthening me. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In uh, Ephesians, let me just read several verses to you. Ephesians chapter three, verse 14. He said, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So here's the big difference between what we were just talking about and somebody going through a physical transformation. Our strength does not come from the outside in. The strength that we're going to run with all through the rest of this year and cross over into the new year with is not going to be strength that comes from the outside in. I've told you my story before, but how several years ago, I guess it was six, seven years ago now, the Lord spoke to me. Sarah and I were away on vacation. I was sitting on a hotel balcony reading the Bible. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Jeremy, I want you fit by 40. Remember me telling you about that? And that came out of the book of 2 Timothy, 
where Paul wrote to Timothy and he, he talked to him about being fit for the master's use. And I got to tell you, right at that time, I had, I had just gotten into this uh, pretty intense workout. It was a CrossFit thing and, and man, we were going for it and I was working out several days a week and working hard and beginning to see some changes. And so when he said, I want you fit by 40, I got to be honest, my first thought was, okay, well, I got to keep working out, right? And I got to be eating healthy. And I sort of thought on that for a little bit, but then it hit me. God never deals with us about change from the outside in. It's always about change from the inside out. So when you come to the place in your life and you're done being weak, say it again and say it loud, I'm done being weak. Well, that strengthening that you're talking about is not going to be a strength that comes from the outside in. It's going to be a strength that comes from the inside out. Do you see this? He's talking about you being strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. I like the Amplified Bible that says it like this. May he grant you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened. I like this. Can you see it? And spiritually energized. Come on, somebody give me a woo! Strengthened and spiritually energized. This is what I'm talking to you about. This right here is what I'm talking about running into next year with some spiritual energy. To be strengthened and spiritually energized with power through his spirit in your inner self, indwelling your inmost being and personality. Philippians 2.13. He says this, not in your own strength. I said, not in your own strength. It is God who is all the while effectually at work in you. This is the Amplified Classic. Energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. This is God at work in you, creating in you, energizing in you the will and the desire. See, this is one of the first things we lose when we get tired is the will and the desire. Yeah, we started the first of the year and everybody's got their resolutions and everybody's all pumped up and excited about changes they're going to make. But sometimes those resolutions don't last, but a few days, a few weeks, maybe. And what happens is people get tired. They get tired. And when you get tired, you lose the will and you lose the desire. But you and I have this, what I call an unfair advantage. And the advantage that we have is God in us, working in us both to will and to do his good pleasure, to desire to do his will. And what did Jesus say? That's like eating a good meal, man. When you begin to do the will of God, it actually energizes you. It actually sustains you. And it's God working in you to will that, to do that, to desire that. There's gotta, there has to be some energy though, right? Listen to it again. It's not in your own strength, but it's God effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire. Both those words are so important. Energizing you, creating in you power. Somebody say power. Power. Listen to this from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
Again, the Amplified Bible. He said, be strong, be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him. See, when you come to a place at the end of a year like this, and if you've experienced anything like what I talked about, I've experienced before, you're kind of tapped out. I've experienced that in our ministry. Man, I experienced it one year in such a, in such a strong way that the Lord really had to get my attention. It was right about this time of year. We had been traveling. We had done a lot of international travel. And man, when we got home, right around about October, November, I was so tired, so exhausted to the point where we would get the kids in bed at night. And I was in our bed just a few minutes after that. But I kept sensing the Lord encouraging me to, to, instead of checking out like I was with television and movies and just taking a brain break all the time, you know, I kept hearing him encourage me, come on, press into my word, press into me, press into me. And I'm sad to say, you know, for a long time, I didn't do it. And I won't get into all the details of it, but there came a point right at the end of the year, just days before Christmas, where our daughter, Jessie, got so sick one night that she couldn't breathe. And she was waking herself up in the night, unable to breathe. And here I am trying to speak the word over her and, and pray over her and believe God for miracles and healing in our house. And I just remember having nothing. I don't know if that's the best way to say it or not, but I just remember I could feel how flat the prayer was falling. I could feel the total lack of power in it. The problem was I was empty. Just being so tired, being so fatigued, I was empty. And I hadn't been filling back up. But he's saying, you gotta draw your strength from him. When you have none left, where do you go to get it? Well, the rest of this world, they, they don't know. They've already said, can't be cured. When you've got none and you live with none, we're just going to slap a label on that and call you chronically fatigued. Okay. And 200,000 people this year got called chronically fatigued. I wonder how many of them just said, okay, that's what I am. Chronically fatigued. And I wonder how many times they said it. After it first got told to them, uh, I think what you're dealing with here is uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. Oh, really? Yeah. I wonder how many times between there and the parking lot of the doctor's office, they identified as chronically fatigued. I wonder how many times between there and home, they out loud identified, well, that's what I've got. That's what I am. That's what I have. And they get home and they tell their spouse, guess what I am? chronically fatigued and they go to work the next day. Guess what I am? Chronically fatigued. Yep. No cure. Really? Yep. No cure. I'm tired. Been tired a long time. Going to be tired. Don't sleep good. Probably never will again. Why? Chronically fatigued. What? You want a t-shirt? What's, what's the deal? How quickly people identify with the weakness and they wear it like a badge and tell everybody they can find and then begin to use it as an excuse. And whatever you use as an excuse, you will have no faith to overcome. Chronically fatigued, chronically fatigued. Well, that's what I am. What are we told to say? Let the weak say, I am strong. 
I'm chronically fatigued? No, let the weak say, I'm strong. Well, if you're weak, how can you say you're strong? Well, I'm drawing my strength from a different place. I am empowered through my union with him. I draw my strength from him. That strength, which that strength, which his boundless might provides. I'm getting my strength from a different place. Another couple of scriptures here. Look at this. I'll just read them to you. We'll put them on the screen. The psalmist said this in Psalm 27, one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Say this next part out loud with me. The, the Lord is the strength of my life. I want you to say it again. The Lord is the strength of my life. This is what you need to be saying. When you feel tapped out, exhausted, beat up, worn out, beat down, tired, what do you need to be saying? Maybe I'm chronically fatigued. No, you need to be saying the Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is the strength of my life. I'm not my own strength. I'm not my own source of strength. My workout's not the source of my strength. My diet's not the source of my strength. The Lord is the source of my strength. The Lord is the strength of my life. Now he goes on in this same Psalm to say in verse 13, like so many of us could say, I would have lost heart. Other translations say, I would have fainted unless unless now here's the big difference church. Are you listening? This is the big difference between us and the rest of this world. I would have lost heart, fainted, given up, quit, thrown in the towel unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, this is a powerful revelation of what faith is. Because most people are saying, I'm giving up unless I see a difference. Most people are saying, I'm done with this marriage unless I see a difference in them. I'm done with this job unless I see something change on the job. I'm done with this relationship. I'm done. I'm done. Some people are saying, I'm done with living. I'm done with life unless I see some change. That's not what he said. He said, I would have fainted. What does that mean? Tired. I would have lost heart. What's that mean? Giving up, quitting. He said, I would have done that and I would have done it a long time ago. Unless I had seen a difference? No. Unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. It wasn't seeing a change that sustained him. It was believing to see it. It was a, a faith, a solid faith that says, I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. I know what I look and feel like, but I'm believing to see the goodness of the Lord. He said, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, he said in verse 14, wait, wait on the Lord be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. It's almost like verse 13's David's testimony 
This is what I went through. And he's saying in light of that in verse 14, now he's talking to us. So I'm telling you, wait on the Lord. But we've got a really messed up definition of what it means to wait. You ever heard a Christian say, well, I'm just waiting on God. Just waiting on the Lord. I mean, what's that make it sound like? You're ready, but God's not? Our understanding of what it means to wait is not at all what the Bible means when it says wait. When David said, wait on the Lord, study these words, and it means look at him. Turn your attention to him. It literally means to look with expectation. And this is what he was saying. What got me through when I was about to lose heart, when I was about to faint? Well, what got me through it was I was believing to see something else. And that's that's what waiting is. Scriptural waiting is the believing to see. Looking to God in expectation, in expectation of goodness, in expectation of fresh strength. Wait, he said, on the Lord. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Musicians, you guys come. Isaiah chapter 40. You've heard this before in verse 28. Let's put this on the screen. He said, have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. I like the way he starts that. Did you not know this? He's asking people like, hey, this is obvious, right? Did you not know? Have you not heard? And the thing is, it's not that Christians don't know that God is never weary. It's not that they haven't heard that God doesn't faint. They're just living like they don't know it. They're just living like they've never heard that. And this is what he's saying to people. You're acting like you don't know this. You're acting like you haven't, you've never heard or you didn't know that the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. But listen to this. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He does what? Increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. Have you ever watched a little kid just run around the house for hours And it's like, they're just back and forth and back and forth. And you think to yourself, where do you get this energy? Here we are much older and later in life, looking at these little ones going, man, I wish I had some of that still. And they're just running circles and you're going, where do they get this energy? But wait, a couple hours from now, that same little three-year-old that you thought had endless energy is going to be passed out cold on that living room floor. Even young people in their teens and their twenties, and you look at that stage of life, you think, man, what energy, what energy they have, what, what excitement and exuberance they have. It's got limitations. I said, it's got limitations. The only one without any limitation is our God. He never faints. He never gets weary. Yeah. Young people, as much energy as it looks like they've got, what does he say? He said, they will utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord, those who look at him with some expectation, 
those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They, who's they? The ones that wait. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Glory to God. What power our God is. What power our God has. Pure power. I don't know if we fully understand how much power is in him, how much power he has. All you got to do is go out sometime, go outside and look around you. Look at that big ball of fire in the sky and what put it there and what's sustaining it there and our own planet, what's keeping it in place and keeping it in orbit and, and, and making sure it's not a too, too far this way or too far that way, a degree off here or there and all the other planets in our solar system. And then look up into the night sky at those little flashing lights in the sky that are, that are millions of light years away. And you think, well, what's sustaining them and what's keeping them? I'll tell you what it is. All things are upheld by the word of his power, his power. And some of this reading I was doing yesterday, you're going to laugh at me. I got interested in the sun. I started reading a little bit about the power of the sun. Can I just read a couple of things to you? Guys, go ahead and just begin to play softly. Listen to this. Every 1.5 millionths of a second. So not every second, every 1.5 millionths of a second. The sun releases more energy than all of humanity could consume in an entire year. So more energy in 1.5 millionths of a second than 7 billion of us could use in a year. It says the sun releases energy at a mass energy conversion of 4.26 million metric tons per second, which produces the equivalent of 384.6 septillion watts. Amen. One, one, one billionth of the sun's total energy output actually reaches earth. All combined, the sun produces 380 billion terajoules of energy each second. One terajoule is equivalent to one billion joules. If you add up the amount of energy used by all humans on the planet each year, we come to about 580 million terajoules. Now here's the bottom line. In one second, the sun produces more than 600 years worth of human energy in a second. In one second, the sun produces more energy than 8 billion people could use in more than 600 years. Somebody say power. That's power. The sun is producing the equivalent of 1.9 million nuclear bombs per second. Why are we talking about this? Because the scripture says that our God is the father of lights. Those heavenly lights. That power's got to come from somewhere. And something of lesser power didn't create something of greater power. All that power we just read about, our God's the father of that. In other words, it came out of him. I don't know how many millions of nuclear bombs worth of power are going off every second in our God, but I tell you, it's more than that. This is where, I mean, this power is just 
almost incomprehensible, undescribable. And this is where we're drawing our power from. But he said, this kind of strength only comes to those who wait on him. So in just the few minutes that we have left this morning, would you stand up with me? And we're going to begin right now putting this into practice. Anybody else with me? You done being weak? Anybody else done being weak? Okay. Well, where are you going to get that strength? Well, I'm going to work out first thing Monday morning. First of all, probably not. <laughs> Second of all, even if you did, that's not the kind of power I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual strength and a spiritual energy that will cause you to run with momentum out of one year into the next, out of one phase of your life into the next. But you got to make this decision. I'm done being weak. And this kind of power, this kind of power is available to those who will wait on him. And that's also the reason most of us don't have this kind of power. It's because so many people aren't willing to wait on him. They aren't willing just to spend some time looking to him, looking at him, expecting, drawing strength from him. They've always got somewhere to go, somewhere to be. And as the result, they're chronically fatigued. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, I believe there's a cure for the chronically fatigued. And if you've been told that, or if you've thought you've suffered from that, today can be a new day as we wait on the Lord. Would you lift your hands with me? Just close your eyes. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.